Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper Podcast. Your host, Greg, will have smart discussions with friends, experts, and thought leaders on customer experience, transformation, and leadership. Please follow this podcast on your preferred platform. I am sure you will enjoy the next episode with the guest I selected for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the CX Goalkeeper podcast. Today I'm really, really thrilled because I have Nick Ligo Baker, the CX mechanic, together with me. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hi, very well. Thanks, Gregorio. Lovely to be here. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much for your time and for stopping by from your uh, with your car in, into my pitch <laughs> and uh, and we start discussing about um, listening to the whole picture but before we deep dive in this great topic that also you wrote uh, a chapter in customer experience 3 the book that we wrote together with other 28 international cx professionals um, we would like to learn more about you and therefore nick could you please introduce yourself Yes, yep. So I'm Nick Lagerbaker. Um, I suppose I've spent about 17 years in, in customer experience, predominantly agency side, um, looking at market research, customer research and, and tracking behavior. Um, but more recently, I've spent time with uh, a client side with organizations to help build their customer experience strategy and then to implement change and, and that trans transformation through whether it's physical or digital to enhance their customer experience for their, their customers and their employees in many ways. Thank you. I think this is the passion that we that we are sharing in in common. That's uh, that's customer experience, but um, also to 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 understand better where you are coming from. Could you please share your values that drive you in life? Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I think uh, I, I have quite a few shared values with with <laughs> with a lot of my uh, compatriots in CX. But I think um, one that stands out for me is is yeah, I'm, I'm a member of Rotary International, and and their motto is is service above self, uh, and that for me is always a, a kind of a mantra when thinking about customer experience. It's how do we enrich, how do we um, bring a better experience to our customers in order to build a, a relationship with them, and yeah, that as a kind of a blueprint for thinking about how CX comes together has been uh, yeah, one of my core drivers. I think that's great. And I think everybody working in, in CX, all the CX professionals are sharing the, the same value that, that you share together with us. But now let's really deep dive in listening to the whole picture. I think that's really, really interesting what you are sharing in, in your chapter of, of the book, Customer Experience 3. And let's start unpacking all these different uh, uh, types of listening to the customer. But I know it's perhaps a stupid question, but let, let's start from the basic. Why is there a need to listen to the customers? Um, I think there's a, there's a it's very easy for organizations to think they know what to do that's best for their customers. Um, in some cases, they do get feedback, they get told, they get anecdotal information, but more often than not, it's on a very small scale. And it's very easy to react to those um, pieces of information because they might feel like they're really important. But if you don't understand it in context, then you can make wrong decisions. And some of those decisions can be very costly because they can alienate larger groups of customers. They could cost you a lot of money and ultimately not deliver any value to either yourself as an organization or to your customers as in general. So for me, I mean, as I say, having, having been in customer market research for, for the best part of 17 years, um, it's 
it's kind of drilled into me that we we need to understand what the needs of our customers are in order to then build around that in in order to then deliver that service um and a lot of small businesses start with a a single person who can directly talk to their customers and, and engage but as those organizations succeed and they grow and they expand the more distant the relationship is between the CEO who started the business and that customer. And in between that, you end up with a a huge disconnect between what those customers need and what the CEO thinks they need. And therefore, as time progresses, um, that disconnect can often mean that the organization starts to lose relevance because they're just not able to get that understanding because they're just too far apart. So the purpose of voice of customer and in in sort of the case of my chapter in the book is more holistic listening posts is to get a very rounded view of exactly what the customer is thinking, but also how they're behaving because people will tell you some things and then deliver a different behavior Um, because a lot of people just want to be nice. You know, they want to give you positive feedback or if it's customer service, they might be trying to resolve a problem and, and give you some negative feedback. But at the same time, those are two polar opposites and it doesn't necessarily represent the whole of your customer base. So for me, it's really important to get that rounded view that informs your insights, which then support your decision making. Thank you, Nick, for for this uh, great introduction. Um, thinking about what you are saying, listening to the customer, understanding their needs, but at the end, being the devil's advocate, every customer experience an event in a different way, uh, based on their emotional status, based on their know-how, based on their their former experiences, and and therefore, how can companies cope with this with this fact that everybody is different? Well, I think that's that's part of the, the, the challenge that organizations face. And if they were to listen to a very small group, they might get an indication of, of feeling. But that group is going to be based on a very few and their opinion. And that opinion, again, will be influenced by the way they see it. And that's absolutely fine because we, we're now in a, a world of everyone having a mobile phone. They're more informed. They have the opportunity to create their own view, their own customer lens on you as an organization. But that perception is is effectively how they view your brand. Yeah, however you position your brand promise, they will receive and interpret that in their own way. So in order to then collect information back to say, okay, well, if we make a change, what impact is that going to have? Or are we delivering consistently? There, there needs to be volume. So yeah, when it, when it comes to researching and talking to customers, um, yes, there are you know, ways and means of, of delivering ind- indicative uh, research through focus groups and small groups, which help you guide the, the kind of hot topics. But to really understand the significance of them, you need some quantitative data and some volume that helps you prioritize because you can then understand okay is this a really serious issue is it just something that's a nice to have is it an absolute need and therefore you can prioritize where you spend and how you spend your investment when you're developing the organization uh, thank you nick and this is something that we discussed also um some episodes ago together with sergio rossini and he shared exactly the same view that you are sharing if you are focusing only on the customer that provide you feedback and the company gets, let's say, roughly 5% response rate, then you're really focusing only on a niche of customer. And often there are really 
the detractors and the promoters because mm -hmm. they, they want to say, oh, thank you very much, you did something great, or this exp the experience was really bad and therefore I want to complain. And you are missing the complete holistic picture, as, as you said. And I think this is something really, really important for, for the audience to, to understand and to always keep, keep in mind. And therefore you are sharing several sources to get feedback and you are sharing five voices. Uh, could you please elaborate um, on them a bit to uh, quickly explain every, uh, these five voices? That yeah, yeah I, I think we're, as I was considering the types of information that you need to make better decisions, um, the first was always going to be voice of the customer because that's top of mind. Um, and there are multiple ways of collecting that, whether it's satisfaction surveys, whether it's um, yeah, actually physical journey mapping, you know, look at where people go, you know, if it's a retail store, for example, yeah, some behavioral um, information that you can collect through various different ways. Um, so that creates your, your, your voice of your customer effectively. But equally, we have the anecdotal feedback that we can collect from our employees, those who are interacting with our customers directly, who are managing challenges, who are able to help and provide really important feedback. It's, it's, it's all very well making promises to customers if we don't enable our employees to be able to deliver those. So we need to understand, are we making it easy for our customers, but are we also making it easy for our employees to then deliver that? So that was another component that was really important in, in starting to get a holistic view the next I've, I've called voice of service, and this is um, effectively looking at how well is the training we're giving our employees being delivered and manifesting itself on the shop floor. Now, you can measure that through mystery shopping and, and other sort of audit type experiences where there's consistency in the measurement rather than the free for all that you get in VOC. But the, the key there is to understand, OK, are we training the right things to deliver the brand promise that we're making to our customers? So. Those three are the, I suppose, the key people elements which which create the the majority of what we would probably discuss as, as customer experience. But there's then a, a more of a macro understanding as to what might be happening. So voice of process is is the fourth. And that is about what are we doing to create the right things in our organization to then deliver to our customer outcomes. And yeah, that could be anything from making sure we have products on shelves. It could be our communication. It could be our promotional marketing. What Which of the touch points that really matter to customers are we managing in order to make sure our processes are both efficient because we don't want to spend money in places that don't add value, but equally to make sure that when we're spending that money, it is directly something that's relevant to our customer base that we're trying to target. And yeah, that's that's a really key piece because particularly um, at the moment, I, I don't know, certainly in the UK at the moment, we're seeing a, a shortage of certain uh, products. So yeah, salad, for example, you, you can only buy in many stores three items of salad. So you can have a cucumber, a pepper, and, and some tomatoes, but you can only have one of each because there's a there's a shortage of supply coming through to the through to the country. So that is a process that's affecting my experience as a as a consumer because I can't buy as much of the produce I would normally buy because of the restrictions that are in place. So 
for me, that voice of process is about being then able to manage the communication to customers to say, and, and sometimes it's beyond the control of the organisation, we understand that, but it's about then managing expectation. So what promise are you making and are you able to live up to that? And in this case, yeah, we, we, we're, we're fully experiencing some, re- in real terms, yeah, it might only feel like salad, but all of a sudden when it's taken away, it's, it's, it's suddenly a big issue where everyone wants to buy it. So, um, yeah, that, that creates that little bit of... Um, uh, frustration, I guess, within the customer base. So that communication and, and management of, of expectation is really important. Um, and you can, to a degree, you can start to be more proactive with how you engage with customers by f- looking at your process. And you will know that, okay, if you're you're suffering from a stock availability or a, you have a production issue, that there's going to be a knock-on effect after a period of time. And that window is is really important because that's the window of opportunity to communicate. And more often than not, the business isn't as aware as it could be, and that can be in terms of what's going on from a customer communication perspective. They might know internally what's going on, and most organisations are probably working really hard to fix those challenges, but they sit on it. They don't go out and proactively communicate, and that is one of the opportunities for me that CX is is bringing to the fore, where that communication is about managing that expectation. And uh, perhaps a short uh, highlight on the voice of of the market. Um, yeah, I mean, how relevant is your is your product um, <laughs> fundamentally? Um, so often people manage their market share. They want to know what they're, 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 they're where they sit in in the organisation or, or sorry in the in the market hierarchy. Uh, are they wanting to be number one in terms of scale, size, profitability, what have you? All of those things are, are important to understand. Okay, where are we heading and what's our, our future goal? But equally, the the key for that market is to understand what what threats and competition could be coming in. Uh, and I always go back to uh, you know, sort of cameras as a as a as a component. So you now have um, probably yeah, as good, if not better, cameras than we would have done ten years ago on a mobile phone. Now, if camera producers were not aware that mobile phones were going to come along, their market is almost turned inside out. They they've now gone to two. So you either produce a camera which fits into a mobile phone in order to produce a product, or you've become really specialist and niche producing really high-end cameras which phones can't deliver. And again, that reduces your customer base because you're now talking to professionals rather than just amateurs potentially and you're also talking about a much higher value product so your market has shifted um, and uh, we've seen the same in and i guess music consumption we've moved from dvds cds into digital streaming so the way in which people are consuming those products has shifted and if your market and your organization is built around delivering the the, the previous channel for that product and all of a sudden that disappears if you're not aware that that's evolving or changing or you're not pioneering and leading that then there's a real danger that you're going to be left behind and we've seen quite a few retail casualties over the years where um their market has disappeared in a very rapid space of time and it's been very difficult for them to to pivot and augment into the new ways of, of delivering their services thank you very much for this introduction about these five voices and uh, let's Double click on two or three of them based on how much time we have. And I think one one really important uh, piece is the voice of the customer. And uh, perhaps uh, on the voice of the customer side, which are the best practices that you are leveraging, that you are really using every day when you are involved in, in topics around voice of the customer? I think the, the, the key is to understand what you want to get back from your voice of customer program 
uh, are you in a complete space where you really don't understand much about your customer or do you know enough to then be, become a little bit more targeted about what you want to ask as a question um, and the science around building questions is is has been evolving quite rapidly over the last sort of certainly three or four years and that's really critical because quite often you'd see questions which feel less relevant to your journey because the, the organization hasn't understood the, the journey that you've gone through so the question might feel a little bit irrelevant and secondly you quite often get um, questions that by their nature they, they're almost asking two things um, so based on this how about that and it's well you know which one do you want to know about because actually for me the two things are separate maybe so it's it's about reducing the ambiguity of the question in order to make sure the response you get can be really easily understood because if it can't be or it's difficult to interpret then you it's much harder to link that response to an action and at the end of the day what we're trying to do is understand where we've got a gap and what we can do to fill that gap to meet that customer need so that that as an evolution is 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 quite paramount, and I think the software that is now developing to do that level of analysis is far more powerful. So we're able to dig deeper into the sentiment behind the responses that we get, and in fact, to a degree, the questions with a yes or no answer are becoming far less relevant because we kind of know the answers. What we want to know is 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 more of the uh, dig deeper into the verbatim. You know, what's driving the answer? Is it something we know about? Is it something we can control? And is it something that we you know, we need to be mindful of for the next decision that we make as an organisation? And that's that's quite difficult to to get to. Um, but the the services that are now being provided by some of the tech companies that provide voice of customers um, uh, software are getting to a stage where that level of in interpretation is is building and the use of ai to effectively group and categorize types of response to be able to add validity to those responses is becoming really powerful so that's that's probably the biggest thing for me when it comes to those those voice of customer programs. thank you very much and i think what what you are saying is it also possible to leverage in the voice of the employees but perhaps also there uh, you have a longer longer experience in in customer experience um how were you able to leverage the voice of the of the employees? What were also there your, the best practices practices that you used? Um, well, I, I, mean, I think for me the the key was was when we first started looking at bringing the two together was was that they were asking different things. Yeah, you know, voice of employee at, at certainly ten years ago was saying, well, you know, do you like the company you work for? Are you paid enough? Do you get enough holiday? Do you get on with your boss? So you know two practical questions and some political questions which we know the answers to yeah everyone wants more holiday and to get paid more and no one's going to say they don't like the boss yeah, so yeah it, it and just to ask that once or twice a year just seemed that it wasn't really getting a flavor of, of what was happening it always happened at a certain point where it probably led into you know, you know, performance reviews and, and bonus time and it, it just the the reason for doing it was sound, but the way it was delivered just didn't really get to I think what most organisations wanted to understand. So for me, the 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 clear and and first support sort of call was to align the customer journey with the employee journey. So almost ask the employee about their view of the customer journey as it was happening, and that made a huge difference to the ability to understand. Well, okay. 
we see that there's some pinch points with the customers and all of a sudden we can discover that there are reasons that our employees can't deliver the things that are affecting our customer experience. So all of a sudden you've got this really intertwined relationship between process, our ability to enable our employees and the outcome for a customer. Um, And that was a, a turning point in terms of getting a voice of an employee program moving to the benefit of the overall CX side of of research. Um, That's not to take away from the fact that, yes, we need to understand how that individual feels about their role, their job and performance, but you can subtly drop those things in on a more regular basis so that you can start to see whether things move up or down or, or whether they're generally consistent. But at the same time, by following the journey of the customer in the eyes of the employee, you get a very different lens on the way in which your organization is geared up to deliver to a customer outcome. Uh, also that I think it's it's extremely interesting what, what you are saying because at the end employees are the ones that are developing products, they are doing the marketing campaigns, they are creating the journeys, they are responding to the phone, writing chats and so on. And therefore it's extremely important to keep them in the loop. They, are, they have a really an extremely important role on, on this topic. Well, this is it. I, I think when we talk about that alignment, it very clearly focuses on those employees who are customer facing. And very quickly, you start to realize that actually everybody in the organization, their role is to support somebody to support another process that eventually has a, an impact on the frontline customer. Um, so turning that back around and, and, and recognizing that everybody has a role to play is not only does it add a degree of purpose to that individual's role, so it doesn't matter how junior they are in the organization, they are contributing, um, but it also starts to generate a, a, an understanding of whether those processes should be improved, could be improved, or what have you. Um, so I, I have an example. I, I worked for an organization that um, uh, was delivering food and when uh, a customer was ordering, you know, the payment process was slick, the online ordering process was great, the delivery, the product was fantastic. If there was a an issue and a complaint, and we, we know what percentage of people come through to call centres, I call that the iceberg of discontent, it's just, just your top 4% that are going to proactively get in touch with you. Of those who did, the amount of time it was taking to to deliver a refund and to make a decision on that response was quite quite long. There were some rules in place which meant certain people could had to make a decision sometimes in terms of providing a refund. So again, agents weren't enabled. And when a refund was approved, it was sent through um, in an Excel sheet to a, a, effectively a, a finance clerk. Um, and they would, you know, receive a file once or twice a week. They would process those. And, and if it got to five o'clock in the evening, they'd go, okay, my day's done. And off they'd trot. And a handful of people would sit there. And then in two days later, when the next form came through, they'd, oh, I need to. F-. So they'd pick that. So there's a, a handful of customers were not necessarily getting the service that the organization had put in place as a process. But if you then think about, okay, how does a, um, a retailer or an e-tailer can handle that it's almost instantaneous so that creates a paradox and an expectation where people think they're going to get a refund almost instantly and in this case it was taking up to six or seven days just to get to the point of processing it and then you were falling foul of the banking system where yes the, the refund had been pushed through but the bank could take up to 16 days to then show that in your balance 
because again it's just systems clogging up going slowly so and obviously the project I worked on was to resolve that and to and to enable the agent to to make that decision and, and process it instantly. We we changed the banking process and the provider, which meant we could instantaneously push things through and then it, it reduced to between three and five days for that banking process to update. But then it was just the fact that that process existed in the first place because it it had started um, probably 15 years ago as a, as a process and it seemed to work. So there there didn't seem any pressure to to fix something that wasn't broken. But the reality is it, it was just not relevant anymore because the world had moved on. People expected their refunds to be you know, delivered very quickly because everyone else can. So there always seemed to be a, well, why can't you approach to that? And um, yeah, for me, it was it was really understanding what the customer need was and then looking at, okay, how do we improve what we're doing internally to deliver a solution that would enable us to be broadly in the same ballpark as a, as an Amazon or a, or a Tesco.com, for example. Uh, I, thank you, Nick. I think this is a great example that it's sharing also the, the complexity throughout the internal processes to get to get a refund. And at the end, what you said, everybody's working for the customer, also the accountant not doing or doing the refund. Um, you are sharing a lot of ideas and these five voices, customer, employees, services, process, and, and market. But the reality is companies are already overwhelmed with the voice of the customer to get it right and to agree what are their priorities and so on. And therefore, uh, we all understand that it's important to, uh, to get all this view, this holistic view on, the, on customer needs. But where can companies start to get all this, this stuff together? You're right. Many companies have spent more time focusing on collecting data than actually interpreting it and understanding what to do with it. Um, and again, that's where the more uh, up-to-date software in terms of collecting the information in the first place is really helpful because it buys you the time to then spend thinking about, well, what, what does this mean? Um, so what? And how do we then interpret that? So going back to that example I was talking about, um, it effectively meant creating a, a steering group with stakeholders from every department and building those customer journeys as they were, not as we wanted them to be, because it's very easy to go into solution mode. And just watching the light bulbs come on around the room where people knew what their role was and their, their section and how that worked, they had no idea what impact their role had on the next person's process. So by just joining those dots, we all of a sudden the business became much more aware of what they were doing, what their contribution was, and and potentially what was required to fix some of the elements that we uh, were discovering as as being challenges. So that that was the the start point. So it was journey mapping to an extent, but it was journey mapping to the existing processes and understanding what that what impact that had from a customer level. We could then use the voice of customer to overlay that and say, okay, where we think there's a pinch point, what type of, you know, how, how important is it? Is it a bit of a frustration or is it something that fundamentally we have to fix now because if we don't, we're going to lose or keep hemorrhaging customers? So that was the starting point and the catalyst. And then it became, okay, we understand what our problems are now. What do we want our customer strategy to be? And there wasn't a customer strategy. There was a business strategy. There was an operation strategy. There was a marketing plan. 
there was a very detailed social media plan because that was where sales were shifting towards. I think about 80% of, of sales were starting to become digital. So it was about then teasing out the, the you know, which of all of these plans and, and objectives and, and strategies do we have that have a customer element in it. And some of them did, but it wasn't really called out. It wasn't identified as a customer element. It was just we knew that the outcome would be broadly speaking, relevant to our customers. So that then was another sort of educational process to say, okay, let's pull all of those elements out and create a customer strategy. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard this before. It's, it's creating that North Star, that, that, that goal that we must all aim for, and then sharing that across all of the different business leaders to start to get everybody focusing on that end game. And by doing that, we started to create... Um, that prioritization list of what needed to be done. We could evaluate if new technology needed to come in. Is that a quick job? Is it a, a long process? Is it a full integration piece? And how, and quite rightly, how are we going to use that information to then drive action and improve the organization's ability to deliver to our customer outcomes? Thank you very much, Nick. Nick. I would have 200 additional questions, but the second half of this game is coming to an end. And therefore, I still have one question in the regular time. Um, in 10 years from now, we are back on the CX Goalkeeper podcast. And what we're discussing about? That's a great question. Um, I, I think it's going to be the level of interaction that we're starting that we're starting to have with with AI. I think we're just at the beginning. Um, we've started with um, bots in customer service um, as a means of kind of triaging customers as they come through. Um, yeah, that frequently asked questions. Please self-serve because we don't want to to spend much money dealing with simple things like what time do you open and you know, can I can I bring my pet into store those type of things. Um, the reality is, I think the, the the way in which the technologies are going to evolve is that the conversation will go two ways. It will be either driven by um, smart tech, so yeah, you'll be adding things to a shopping list, and that will automatically process. In which case, the the, the human to human side is irrelevant. It's a transaction which we can just see happen and manifest itself through through process. But what that will do is is also mean that when we do have customers in crisis and we need a human to human contact, that there'll be much more value placed on that level of interaction between humans than there perhaps is now, because all of a sudden we've stripped out. The, the mundane, boring, easy to easy to solve problems, which we can automate, and the things that are much more important are going to have to be dealt with by a person, and they're going to have to be much more skilled. They'll need to be more educated, and they'll have to be able to help customers in a way now, which is quite difficult because you have specialists in different things. We're going to have to start seeing people who are skilled across the board. So, a contact centre agent for me is going to become a a more highly skilled job. Um, and that I would expect to be you know, manifesting itself in a perhaps a more highly prized role because I think people see the the churn and the the um, attrition of contact centre staff as a problem um, because the environment's not not great. You're, you're dealing with complaints most of the time, so I think that will be a big change. I, I think the, the contact centre role will become more important. Um, and the way I described it at, uh, in in the example of the, the the food delivery business I was talking about is. 
you, you trust a store manager with a million pound business to make decisions and you pay them the same as a contact center agent and you don't trust them to make the same decisions. Why not? And just as capable, let's make sure that we hire the right people into the contact center to make those decisions because ultimately a customer sees you as one brand. They don't see you as multiple different departments and different companies, which you know, that's not how it's it's you know, projected. So that one brand view has to be met with one brand standard, and that has to be consistent for people to know that you're delivering on that brand promise. Thank you very much. I think on this side, what you are sharing is the human-to-human -human con contact will be more and more important and also difficult. But it will be also interesting to see when two machine, the one from the from the company, and our AI will interact together, and how will our then AI provide feedback voice of the customer to the other machine <laughs> joke aside <laughs> <laughs> well I, I think it's, it's a reality I, I think we're, we're starting to see it and, and the frustration that people have had with with customer service bots is is disappearing because the bots and the technology is getting better it's learning and ultimately it's what it's designed to do so it, it uh, there'll always be that gap because effectively at the moment we're still effect, yeah, telling telling a machine what to expect and sometimes what comes through isn't exactly isn't hasn't been programmed so it it falls between the cracks and then we need to recover that through a, a human but the better it gets the more likely we are to have yeah and again we, as we've seen with smart tech and and uh yeah smart speakers um the tech side will start to pick up the the, the delivery of the the requests not just the human into a machine machine to machine you know, very transactional very easy to deliver and on the flip side the human to human side is going to be as you say much more important but there will be investment required in both um the technology has to be there to support both of those channels and the ability for um, agents to be able to have that autonomy is going to be critical for them to be able to deliver so it keeps coming back to how do we enable our employees to deliver on our brand promise to our, our customers and meet that outcome the only thing that i can say is thank you very much for your time nick we are coming to to the end we are in the extra time we still have three minutes and i have three questions for you the okay. first one is there a book that you would like to suggest to the audience because it helps you during your career or during your private life? Um, yeah, I think uh, one of the books that took me a while to get into was was Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, it's, it, But once you start to, to, to go through it and you start to look at people's intuitive response versus considered response, it, it starts to help digest situations. Um, and for me personally, I yeah, on the back of that, I... Um, yeah, I always take a moment and pause <laughs> before I then think, because I just want to make sure that my initial gut feel is actually the, this, this is the response I want to give. Um, and that helps when it, it comes to um, managing conflict, because sometimes your, your initial reaction can always be wrong because you might have misheard something, you haven't understood it. So it just gives me time to pause, reflect and ask a question before yeah, giving a true response. Thank you very much. And if people would like to contact you, what's the best way? Uh, best ways through LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm the only Ligo, no, Nick Ligo Baker on there, as far as I know. So, um, but yes, yeah, that's the quickest and easiest way to get hold of me. And you will find the contact details in the show notes. And the last question is then, Nick's golden nugget. It's something that we discussed or something new that you would leave to the audience? Yeah, I, I suppose after years of, of customer market research, the, the key for me is the, the insight without data is just opinion. 
so yeah be wary of making decisions on insight that is um yeah just driven by one or two comments data has to be there to uh, yeah to underpin it and support it Thank you very much, Nick. It was really a great pleasure to have you on the CX Goalkeeper podcast. Please stay with me and to the audience. I hope that it was that you enjoyed this discussion. It was for me really interesting to get some insight of this on these five voices. We discussed about listening to the whole picture. And if you have any feedback, please feel free to contact Nick or to contact myself. And if you have time, please stop by on Apple Podcast and write a short review. It helped me and it helped us to continue this podcast. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth. Subscribe it. Share it. Until the next episode, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business. We are in a human-to-human environment. Thank you.